Welcome to the show. You are now part of Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions. It's an unfiltered view of your customer reality. In other words, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people success, deal success, and strategy success. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and they share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Before I asked if you were ready to hit record, you were real confident and dare I say a little smug, Sheena. So I'm (laughs) expecting a pretty great answer here. (laughs) Okay, now I'm on the spot. I'm I'm heating up the seat. So I'm curious, Sheena, what's your number one productivity tip for our listeners? Maybe it's a little bit it's a little bit cliche, but I would say that if you're trying to do something that like requires a lot of thinking, it is to turn off all your other apps and distractions. And I don't always follow this. Like this literally happened today where I was trying to like, you know, build a new deck on something. And at the same time, my eyes are going over to my other screen that had Slack on it. And afterwards, when I was done with that hour, I was disappointed because I hadn't accomplished as much as I wanted to. And I knew it was exactly because I was getting distracted. So my main tip, and again, you've heard this probably a million times, likely need to be reminded is like exit out of everything else if you're trying to really focus on something that requires your full attention. That is a great tip. And it, even if it's something people have heard before, being reminded is not a bad thing. Our good and mutual friend DJ Waldo wrote an article, I think it was from monday.com, talking about uh, multitasking. And it always stuck with me because he said, there's no such thing as multitasking. There's only task switching. So you're not really doing two things at once, like maybe a robot could do. What you're actually doing is just going back and forth, back and forth really quickly, and it exhausts you. So if you do that a lot, in an hour, you're going to be much more tired than if you just done those things individually. It happens so much more often now that we're all virtual because you could be on a Zoom call and like doing four things on the side and, you know, you think nobody knows. And like, there's just like a lot of ways that that can happen when you're sitting in front of your laptop and your iPhone at the same time doing all these different things. What about you? Anything to add? Mine is over this year, I spent a lot of time being more aware of kind of two things. One, what gets me in the zone? So when you know you're in that like deep work or you're just, you know, firing on all cylinders and there's a comedian that says firing on all syllables. And I think that's me because I I write a lot, but you know, understanding what gets you in that place. Is it a lot of rest? Is it a little rest? Is it a little caffeine, a lot of caffeine, stretching music? Like everyone kind of has their own little regiment, if you will, that will get you in that mode. So I think perfecting that is a great uh, productivity tip. Mine is, you know, either stretching for 10 or 15 minutes to get the blood going or like a little walk before work, if I can swing it, that's been big for me. And then the other one from, from talking to Dan Pink a couple of weeks ago was knowing what time of day you're most aware and kind of when you're most productive, right? So you're a morning person, you should be doing, you know, deep work or at night, are you more analytical and you should be doing, you know, certain tasks. So the best you can, and I know it's tough in sales because you know business hours are business hours. You gotta you gotta meet when people will meet with you. But if you can block your day as best you can, I think that'll help a lot. And if 
you're listening and going, okay, great. What does this have to do with the interview today? Well, we talked about sales productivity with our new friend, Alex Shumway Jones, who's the AVP of Omnichannel Sales at AT&T. And so I'm not going to tee it up anymore. We just gave you some productivity tips. Alex has a handful for you. So, Sheena, what do you say we go hang out with Alex? Let's do it. Alex, welcome to Reveal. We're so thrilled to have you on the show today. And I am so excited for our conversation, but just to set the stage a bit for all of our listeners, you're currently the AVP of Omnichannel Sales at AT&T. So I'm thrilled to like learn what, more about what that means. And you have a, a pretty big team of inside sellers, about 600 plus sellers on your team today. And your experience is quite unique. You know, I was taking a look at your LinkedIn profile. You were a seller yourself. You had a stint in marketing. You kind of came back to inside sales. So tell us a little bit more about your take on inside sales versus outside sales. I currently, as you mentioned, lead our inside sales practice for AT&T business. And that's inclusive of inside sellers who face off to small business customers, medium-sized business customers, enterprise, public sector. And we've played around with a couple of variated models of inside sales within that. But my background had predominantly been in outside sales. And what's interesting is when I started in the sales arena, inside sales to me felt like this. If you didn't make it in sales, you somehow made your way to inside. And it was somewhat lesser of the two evils. And that was the probably preconceived notion I had throughout my career and going in and trying a marketing role, as you mentioned, I was a chief of staff for a sales leader for a little while, and then did some operational roles, but always felt myself coming back to a sales role or in the arena of, of selling and supporting sellers and our customers. But now leading inside sales, it's almost like the pendulum has, has shifted for me personally, but I also think the market um, as well as the profession. And I think if you look back over the last, what, two years now, there was a time when all outside sellers were inside sellers because of the pandemic, the environments we were selling in now all shifted overnight. And I was already well on my way in inside sales to uncover the productivity advantage inside sellers had just because of the newer technology and readiness of data and our ability to absorb and then take action as a result of it. That just wasn't the case when I was an outside seller and looking at other types of sales professions differently than I do today. So I'd say now looking at inside sales, I just find it to be far more productive for a couple of reasons. I think when I, I look at the customers we sell to, not all of them are in the office any more than I am. And the decision makers makeup and profiles are different, whether that be generationally, whether that be the hats they wear that used to be businesses that were predominantly in an office setting who are maybe now hybrid or perhaps even totally virtual to where, you know, knocking on someone's door, there would be not a, there wouldn't be someone on the other end who could actually tell you yes. So finding customers and decision makers digitally, virtually, is what we're finding to become far, uh, very productive, not to say our outside sales team's not productive. I'm just more intellectually stimulated with the opportunity 
around looking at a seller resource and determining how to maximize that productivity of that resource. And so that's kind of how we're playing around with new technology, new models and comparing and contrasting and always taking advantage of, you know, what's happening with our customer base, what's happening in our selling environments and how do we maximize on all that? For you personally, was it some of these trends that drove your decision to join the inside sales and come to the other side of the house? I joined inside sales by taking over our college hire sales training organization that I actually came through and started the company with 11 years ago. Um, so for me, it was a passion project of I was a seller. I was a, a leader who hired graduates out of this program onto my sales team and had some perspective of as a seller in the program, what were some missed opportunities? And as a manager hiring, what were some gaps in the individuals I was hiring that perhaps I could create and fill those voids when leading this program in its like next chapter? And so the premise of the program was a development program. We did pretty mass hiring and onboarding, but it was a, by and large a, a training program first and a sales generation program second. And um, in fact, we sat in HR organizationally. We didn't even sit in the sales channel. And our leadership teams got together and said, you know, now that we've got real good clarity on the mission of this program, let's think about how to make, again, when you put the productivity first, how do we create even more productive sellers? Well, perhaps we create more the less theoretical and more realistic scenarios for onboarding, like providing quotas day one. And sitting in a sales channel, going through prospecting, carrying a not only a target, but also the act of transacting and all that comes with the process and the, the operational complexity of following through on a sale for day two and having customers stay with you. And all of that was really good practical experience that was transferable throughout the you know, time after our, their, our, our seller's time in this program. And so then we realized, you know, after let's call it a year or two into that kind of restructuring of becoming in a heavy, heavy expense center to now a very unique revenue generating center, how do you then scale that? And it was an inside sales program. Even though we were training for outside sales, we were inside. And so then we started playing around with, okay, well, what if we never sent them outside? What happens if we create new roles where they just continue through in the very similar modality that they were onboarded and trained in? And next thing you know, we're, we're scaling inside sales and creating vertical teams. We're creating digital teams that absorb our and react to our digital leads. We are playing around with inside account management and customer success. All these things, I would say are as a result of us rethinking what was a very you know, unique program that's now, I would say, expanded into an inside sales practice. Well, it's very cool to hear how you were in the program, then leading the program. Program had one outcome, now it has multiple. And um, you, you mentioned it now, and I believe also when we were prepping, you said, uh, I'm, I'm gonna say quote, but I'm probably paraphrasing here. Uh, it used to be more productive to knock on doors rather than leverage data, but that has completely changed. I think I know what you mean on the front half, but you might explain a little bit more about what you mean on leveraging data for productivity. AT&T is a little unique 
in the portfolio that we sell to, depending upon that portfolio, there's only a certain number of states, cities, municipalities that action that can actually procure our services. For example, there are 22 states where AT&T is the local exchange carrier and we can provide fiber connectivity very easily, very rapidly, and it's predominantly more dense of a geo footprint versus, I'll use the example of Texas, we're very dense in Texas, not as dense in Arizona. And so even within the city of Dallas, for example, not every building is lit with AT&T fiber. We are expanding that footprint very rapidly. But I would say prior to the degree of data that I mentioned earlier that is readily accessible to sellers, we are, our outside sellers truly would knock on doors and provide the value proposition of AT&T fiber. It wasn't available as readily as it is now. And we didn't, weren't as intentional and targeted with the customers they were knocking on those doors. Perhaps it was a satellite office that had no decentralized decision-making. So the decision-maker wasn't even in that, that satellite office. It could be that we, for example, were going after a certain product, but they were really better positioned for a different one. Um, but we didn't know that because of where we were blindly sending sellers off to prospect within. Whereas now we have a lot more data at our fingertips to say, we know you are a certain type of business that requires high degree of bandwidth, whether that be in file share or video conferencing that, and you are within our footprint and we have fiber in your building. And the value proposition is we can turn you on tomorrow and it's really competitive, best ever pricing. And we know your business. And so that is a much different, more compelling value proposition to target a customer on that type of prospect versus, hey, you cover Los Angeles. We have fiber in parts of Los Angeles. May the force be with you. And I think that was a little, you know, and this was, again, I'm dating myself 11 years ago when my, just in general, sales tooling, I mean, Salesforce, I think, was just a, a fun idea. Um, it was just getting, you know, becoming a, a cloud-based CRM. And, you know, we were a very heavy, uh, AT&T is, a is basically a conglomerate of multiple different companies we've purchased over the years. And with that comes multiple instances of CRMs and billers and contracting. And just the selling environment was very complex. And you fast forward to 2021, where now we are a, a customer of Salesforce and we have centralized and streamlined our sales practices and, and processes and tooling that allows us to take all that complexity off the seller, put them more time um, in their day to actually prospect, and then better yet, leverage new sales tooling and enablement platforms so that they sell for them. And it's no longer cold calling, it's warm calling and even hot calling based upon the tooling that we've been able to implement in our ecosystems and arm for our sellers. So it's just, I would say there is a piece of it that's an industry component of professional selling to in, in 2021 as compared to 2010. That just is the beautiful, you know, that's what's that's so beautiful about technology and all the advancements we see every day. But it's also AT&T. We truly have adopted a innovative approach to empowering our sales team probably that is far uh, more advanced today than it was 10 years ago. 
So implementing any kind of change at a complex organization like AT&T to drive impact and productivity is no small feat. It's no small decision. You're going to be impacting thousands of people and, you know, strong laid foundations. So I'd love to understand like how you build a culture of experimentation or testing to figure out new models, new technologies, um, new processes that will then, you know, really impact your entire team. I'd be remiss to say like, it's so easy to come up with a concept and roll it out off, you know, I think there's close to 10,000 sellers across AT&T. What we've found to be really successful is intentionally creating a organization to act as an incubator and pilot new tools, new models, new methodologies of approaching customers and prospects and, and perhaps even selling. I'd say, you know, we and in, in, in this team was almost... After we had some success in the the training program, with we we almost acted as if we were our own startup within AT and T, essentially like starting from scratch, and we created our own instances of certain tools, and it allowed us for some great flexibility to try these things, fail fast, you know, innovate rapidly, iterate as we saw fit, um, and that's that's probably the best advice I could give for any organization looking to create change is create a intentional change agent organization that is supported and designed to test, pilot, trial, and then scale when it works. And that's what we did here is we've, we've created new tool platforms within my team and we tried it here first. For those that worked, we then slowly scaled because when you start in a training environment that intakes 500 sellers a year that eventually matriculate out into the sales force at large, with them come the way in which they learned. And that was on tools and processes that the greater organization didn't have. And so as others learn about this really cool, new, sexy thing that makes them more productive, there becomes a pull than a push with the broader team that is you know, that we're looking or targeting to adopt the new methodology or practice that worked really well. We kind of created this own demand even within our sales force by, you know, not necessarily giving everyone act like we, we, everyone had access, but we didn't push it on them. It was only for those who asked for it. And then of course, those who were asking for it were using it, adopting it. And then they told their friend about it who then wanted it. And then it became this, you know, game of telephone and the next best thing that, Eventually, we created more broader scale, larger programs that became widely adopted faster. Game of telephone at AT and T. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> Could not let that sit on the shelf. Good. That was a good one. But that is the best way that I've seen for sales uh, people to pick up new technology. Right, is give it to a small group of folks and let them kind of you know use it, like you said, and then it goes viral a little bit as people say, "Oh, you you know you booked two you know two more meetings than I did this week or today, or closed more deals than last month." How? And then you know, well, I've been using this new tool, and then oh, now everybody wants it. I'm curious, Alex, as you're building, as you have this team you mentioned, and you're kind of building, uh, you know, towards productivity. I'm curious if you have any like early indicators you look for in the, you know, kind of like pilot phase, right? So maybe let's just say, I don't know, maybe you're trying to increase uh, meetings booked or pipeline generated, for example, and feel free to, you know, come up with your own example. Do you have specific indicators or early indicators during that trial process? Or are you kind of focus just on that kind of like big, that big goal? 
Yeah, I think you've got to break it up into intentional outcomes and intentional tests. So if um, I'll use an example, we were trialing this digital team for we, we were outsourcing lead management for customers who indicated on our websites that they would like to speak to someone to talk more about an AT&T service that was being advertised or positioned online. Um, and then it was like, well, who, where do we think, you know, it was a relatively low cost resource that we were partnering with the vendor on. And we were looking across industry benchmarks and said, you know, I don't know if we're getting our fair share of digital conversion. So let's test what it would take for us to improve that. And we stood up a team to then bifurcate the like kind of A-B test, certain traffic going to a vendor resource and certain traffic going to a different team. And it became really clear on what the KPIs were going to be. Is the traffic comparable? What's the conversion rate like? What's the order value? You know, what's the average order value size? And and just compare and contrast. I think similar with any any tool you would or platform or process, the reason why you're going to test it is because you are looking to achieve improvement in a certain area. And I think gaining clarity on the one, two, max three metrics you'll define the success of this, this evaluation is going to be paramount in order to determine was the trial successful? And then can you then use those as benchmark metrics that you can reinforce the scale business case? Because it's really easy to test, but when you start putting the numbers and figures around a broader sales force at large, it becomes it, it's a true investment. And you got to make sure that the outcomes you you received on the front end are actually realized on the back. We all know data is a powerful asset and when used correctly can enable massive growth. A Salesforce study reinforces this well-known concept. They found that 85% of sales reps that have access to data believe these insights make them more effective. Unfortunately, Salesforce also found only 46% of reps have this information. It should be a no-brainer to share such actionable insights with frontline teams, but it doesn't happen as often as it should, which makes it a true competitive advantage. Thankfully, the tides are turning as sales leaders recognize the value of providing data and insights to their reps. Let's get back to Alex as he shares how to get this data into the hands of your sellers. So speaking of data and having access to you know additional metrics and, and things that you can track. I think it's it's one thing for whoever's like running these pilot programs to have access to that, right? Like they have that mindset, we're going to be doing this A-B testing, et cetera. It's a totally another thing to put all this data in the hands of your sellers, in the hands of the frontline managers who may not be accustomed to this. So I'm curious, like maybe it's like a two-part question, but like how are your sellers and frontline folks utilizing this data? And second is like, how do you really ensure that, that they're data literate? I'll use two examples, and I was not paid to say this about the the Gong platform. I'll start, though, with another tool, and I'll get to Gong and how we're leveraging it. We use a tool called Outreach. I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with the platform. That was relatively new to AT&T, we'll call it two years ago. And for relative to how do we put data in the hands of the end user, I'd say prior to Outreach, our sellers were dependent upon our marketing organization to c- create leads on their behalf. Whereas now our sellers have the ability to create their own leads through various sequences 
that we put in their hands. And they can tweak and determine based on their reply rate, their hit rate, their ultimate conversion rate, which ones work for them and which ones don't, and then iterate accordingly. And so that just training on the the value of that, those various metrics that come out of that platform is a new thing for us that made us feel more in control of our own destiny, but as well, more capable in our, our prospecting efforts. From a management perspective, our managers had a really good way of always tracking quantity from our sellers, meaning how many calls were our sellers making? How many outreach tasks are overdue? You know, the the, the quant side of prospecting and, and we'll call it sales management. We have dashboards on dashboards to tell us every which thing to Sunday. But the quality component was really hard for us to measure. And that's where Gong has helped us through a very the, not only just the deal intelligence, but also on the the mention rates. The, you know, we know exactly what our campaigns are supposed to be to be providing for us. Are our sellers actually mentioning the value proposition, keywords, buzzwords? Are they hitting the five things we need on every discovery call? Those are things we could not measure through how many calls they were making, like the quality component. And so I'd say that data that is super intuitive at the manager level to have at any given time, real time, in a one-on-one ad hoc, if uh, at night, you know, scratching their head on why their numbers are not where they are, like they have the, the wherewithal to go dig in and investigate what could be improved. And so, but all of that comes back to, we have an advantage within my team is they don't know any other way because they were trained at the onset with these platforms. For an organization with high tenure embedded, you know, these two tools becoming a coming in after the fact, you have to think about what was it that they were doing before that now is different and faster and better. And that takes time. Like you you've got to I think we've relaunched Gong like three times with our management community. Because you come at it with one use case, you learn about what's working that even even better and you kind of relaunch it. And then you learn of more use, more use cases and you kind of do like a refresher. It's an iterative and repetitive process that over time, I think, and, it, and that's just it. I think the answer is time is when you truly get to your nirvana state. I would love to know, Alex, what you're focused on when it comes to next year and your team's productivity. I'm biased now on inside sales. I've always been all in, but now the intellectual stimulation I mentioned earlier, like to me now, there's this endless art of the possible. So we are going to continue to look for new ways to organize inside sales. We're going to look for new ways to demonstrate value in different sales distribution models. And I would say 2022 is the year of more, more ideas, more innovation, more distribution, more tooling componentry. I think the technology side of this, we've just scratched the surface of our ability to be effective in prospecting with intuitive and insightful data. When your sellers become data scientists, you're onto something. On them asking for more diff- you know, di- different dashboards reporting out of the various tools that we use because they want to refine their craft based on what they're seeing. Like, you've really unlocked something. And then, oh, by the way, if one person's asking for that, 
that means there's probably 10 others thinking about it, but for whatever reason, aren't really just raising their hand. And so there's a scale opportunity there. So I think next year, we're continuing to refine our vertical approach on creating specialized teams. You know, another beautiful thing about inside sales, you can react really quickly to market dynamics without being geographically dependent. And so as new trends and dynamics occur in our our marketplace, we'll continue to respond really quickly with, with new, you know, flexible teams that are designed to do just that. And so I think playing around with these models, and it truly is this, the target will always be moving and will never reach an end state, but it's continuing to learn with each iteration that it, that is probably what's the most exciting piece of, of this portion of our business right now. Well, that definitely resonates, Alex. One of our operating principles at Gong is want more. So the year of more, that is a great one. You have a lot of things to accomplish. So uh, hats off to you and your team. Well, why don't we head into our final question, which is how would you describe sales in one word? Passion. I think you 100% have to be passionate about not just what you sell, but who you're selling for. Passionate about the impact it has on the end user and and also the passion for doing it, for getting up every day and seeking that that perfection of your craft and the overall opportunity. Short of passion, you're you're, you're handicapped. Every week we bring you a micro action, something to think about or an action you can put into play today. Alex shared great tools and best practices for increasing your sales team's impact. But there's only so much you can act on at once. So if you only do one thing after this conversation, do this. Take the next step towards putting data in the hands of your sellers. Start small by sharing a single metric then gradually continue to share other data that will help your team identify prospects and close deals. An ideal end state is automating these insights to your team in real time. If you want to maximize the bang for your buck, this micro action is for you. Making data-driven insights available to your sellers is one of the simplest yet most powerful ways to boost performance and empower your teams to reach their potential. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then.